What's wrong with Eric Bieniemy? Well, the word on the street is he doesn't interview well. Well, did you know that last year he had five interviews in a three-day period during the playoffs? <laughs> and so we expect him to be up and on top of every detail and be polished and be ready and, and be just relaxed and energized. Well, no, he's trying to win a Super Bowl. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. We're presented, as always, by DraftKings. What a special edition I have for you. There's so much in the news. The Brian Flores lawsuit, the lack of minority hiring in the NFL, potentially racial bias. I saw a letter written Super Bowl Sunday by Tony Dungy, a prominent voice in football, broadcaster, former Super Bowl coach, winning coach. Just a real thoughtful take on the NFL and especially the minority hiring. He wrote a letter published this weekend to the NFL on a ways to do it better. I called him. He said he'd be happy to come on. So he's going to be with us. Going to get right to it without further ado. My friend, someone I think is one of the most thoughtful voices on the NFL and NFL business, the prominent, the eminent, Tony Dungy. Tony, welcome to the business of sports. Hey, thank you, Andrew. Good to be with you. And I, I certainly uh, enjoy reading your material and listening. So it's a, a, an honor to be on with you. I think the last time we saw each other in person was the last Super Bowl that was a real in-person yeah. Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, we were uh, walking on that boardwalk yeah. down in Miami. It was great. I came to see a friend in the boardwalk of Miami, and there he is. <laughs> and uh, we took a nice walk. I really appreciate it. That was some nice time that yeah, just came out of impromptu. Um, I want to have you on. There's so much talk right now about the Rooney rule, the minority hiring in the NFL, and of course, it all exacerbated by the Brian Flores lawsuit, which I've covered in different ways on this podcast and in my columns and my, my radio and TV. But I think I want to look at it from a different point of view because you wrote a letter uh, to the NFL this weekend that was published on, on NFL or Pro Football Talk. And I just think it makes a lot of sense. So I guess where I want to start is I mentioned to you before we came on that Jim Rooney was on the podcast and we sort of took a look back on the Rooney rule. And I'll give you my impression because when I was at the Packers, I'm like, it was early 2000s, as you know, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. We were just kind of under the guideline that when we, if and when we have a head coaching search, we need to interview a minority candidate. And it was kind of that simple back in the day. Is that how you recall it when the Rooney Rule first came on the scene in early 2000s? It's almost uh, amazing. Well, it is amazing, Andrew, that 20 years ago is when all this happened. And it's almost like deja vu. Right. Uh, at the end of the 2001 season, there were three African-American coaches uh, in the NFL. Denny Green got fired in Minnesota. I got fired in Tampa. And that left Herm Edwards as the only African-American coach. And some people said, you know, this is a little bit crazy. We're here in uh, the, the 21st century, and we've got one African-American coach, Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary, two really, really renowned uh, civil rights lawyers, came in and sat down with Paul Tagliabue, who was the commissioner then, and said, you know what, we've got to work on this. We've got to do something. Litigation is not the answer, but if this continues, litigation is coming. And Commissioner Tagliabue, being a lawyer, said, you're right, we don't want that. So he commissioned, got a diversity committee together, and put Dan, and Dan Rooney in charge of it. And that's how things got started. 
and there were a lot of discussions, very productive discussions. And Dan Rooney came up with a process. Okay. And the process was a very good one, but the process got left in the uh, kitchen, so to speak. And the only thing that came out of the kitchen was the final product interview a minority candidate, as you say, sounded very simple, but that was not what Dan proposed at all. Dan's proposal was to do it just like he had always done it. He had hired two coaches at that time uh, in about 40 years. And what he did was, here's my blueprint. Here's what I'm looking for. Now I'm going to research that. And I'm going to find out from a lot of different people who the candidates are out there in this universe that fit this blueprint that I have. And then I'm going to take my time. I'm going to interview them. I'm going to get to know them and I'm going to make a decision. So that's what he did in 1969. He wanted, because Pittsburgh was a cold weather city and a blue collar and tough, he said, we need defense. And I want a young guy and I want a teacher and I want a communicator. So he kind of scoured the landscape and got this 33-year-old unknown defensive coordinator named Chuck Moe. And he hired Coach Noel and went 23 years that way. Then when it came up, he went through the same process again. Dave Wanstead had just come off a couple of Super Bowls with Dallas and on uh, the Pittsburgh staff at that time in 1992 were uh, Bruce Arians, Ken Wisenhunt, you know, just good names. And he said, no, 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 that's not the way to go. You end up hiring Bill Cowher. So, excuse me, the next time, Wisenhunt and those guys weren't there yet, but he ended up hiring Bill Cowher after a long search. Everybody thought he was going to hire Dave Wanstead. So, 2002 comes, he said, this is what we should do. But now, as you're doing this exhaustive search and you're going through this process, just make sure you include a minority candidate in this. It made sense, okay? And had people done it that way, uh, then the blueprint would have worked. But instead, people got, okay, I just need to interview a minority candidate. So even though I might be looking for a older, mature, offensive coordinator uh, type guy, I can just interview the running back coach from the St. Louis Rams. You know, uh, I can just interview uh, anyone to fulfill this obligation and then keep my process going. And that's not the way Dan envisioned it. It's interesting because the process you talked about is so different than what we know is the Rooney rule. You know, I mean, you just emphasized that. We know the Rooney rule as a, and I, I hate to make this trite, but a check the box thing. And it was That's never what it became. And then I remember being with the Packers. We had let go of, of a staff and I got close with Sherm Lewis and Sherm Lewis, an African-American coach, he would just say, Andrew, should I go on these interviews? They're not really interested in me, but <laughs> I'm like, I think you should. And and it was just kind of like, it never dawned on me that this was kind of just the check the box and getting around. And and, and that happens at times. People want to explore everybody and explore candidates. I can tell you the first interview I ever had as as a young assistant coach was with the Green Bay Packers. And um, Tom Bratz was Mm. the general manager. Way back. And we met way, way back. We had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of things, and and it was my first interview. I think I was 29 or 30 years old. Um, I was excited. At the end of the 
interview, he said, do you have any questions for me? I said, Mr. Bratz, what are you looking for? What is what would you like to, to run this show? And what's your idea? He said, well, really, you know, we've got a good young quarterback there. We've got a lot of things going on. We'd really like a young offensive minded guy, but we want somebody with head coaching experience. Well, I was a defensive coordinator that had never been a head coach. So I started thinking, well, I don't think I'm going to get this job if that's what you're looking for. But that that happens. He got to know me. I got to go through the interview process. They ended up hiring Lindy Infante, which was exactly what he wanted. Um, but but it just that's how the process goes sometimes. But that's what Dan would say. Hey, that was a good interview, but it was probably a waste of Tom Bratz's time and a waste of my time because I didn't fit the right. bill that they were looking for. I had another interview in Jacksonville years later um, when Jacksonville was just starting their franchise. And Wayne Weaver interviewed me and we talked about things and his mindset was he wanted one person to run everything. And he wanted that person to be the head coach and the general manager. Well, after about four hours of talking, I, I told him, that's not what I do. I'm not a GM. I don't want to be a GM. Yeah. I have some guys who would be very good and we could work with them, but I want to be the head coach. Well, he hired Tom Coughlin and it worked out well for him. Tom ran everything, did it all. Everybody reported to Tom, but I didn't fit what he was looking for. And that was my suggestion in my letter right. uh, this year that we need to lay that out just like corporations do with a job description. Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, Z. And if you're, if you're that, apply. You know, if you don't have that, you, you probably right. don't need to apply. Uh, and then we could sort the, those things out and do it a lot more efficiently. Yeah, and there will be minorities with those backgrounds. That you sure. Do. It's not like they're going to be a dearth. If you say offensive coach, quarterbacks, whatever it is, there'll be people. Yes, and we can help you and we can find the best people in that category. That's uh, I'll fast forward to Dan Rooney in yeah. 2006. Okay, after he'd gone 40 some years with Coach Noel and Bill Cower, well, that's what he's looking for. And so he kind of scours the landscape for that. And at that time, I got ahead of myself, but he had on his staff Dick LeBeau, who was a great defensive coach, but an older guy. Right. He had Ken Wisenhunt, Russ Grimm, and Bruce Arians. Brilliant guys. Uh, Wisenhunt and Arians would take teams to the Super Bowl, offensive minded guys, but that's not what Dan wanted. So he didn't have to waste his time looking at that. He's looking at young defensive coaches. He goes to the Minnesota Vikings, sees the 34-year-old one-year defensive coordinator with the Vikings named Mike Tomlin. And I remember Dan calling me, tell me about this guy. He's intriguing. I don't know that much about him. <laughs> well, he did his homework and found out he kind of fit the bill that he was looking for. He interviewed Mike two or three times, got to know him, felt better about him, felt better about him finally ends up hiring him, and 15 years later, he's still there. But Dan viewed it as not a one-year decision or a three-year decision. These were 20-year decisions in his mind. So take your time, research it, look for the people that fit your blueprint. You know, the, the Mike Tomlin story, which you just told, I have a feeling about it that it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You talked about the blessing part of it. The curse part of it is I hear that Again, with potential sham interviews out there, African-American coaches are, quote unquote, encouraged to take these interviews because, hey, Mike Tomlin, right? You could be the Mike Tomlin 
who went in there and knocked their socks off. Maybe they weren't expecting a young guy yeah. like him to, to do that and to overwhelm them to picking him over all these great established coaches. So I, I listen to that Tomlin story a lot, and I, I it frustrates me where I hear people say, well, they should just go on these sham interviews because maybe they'll be the next Mike Tomlin. Well, the point is, for Dan, it wasn't a sham interview. Correct. So Mike went, he had an opportunity, and it happened. I don't know what other minority candidates Dan interviewed at that time. So he probably interviewed someone else who didn't get the job. But it was a legitimate interview, and they had an opportunity. The problem comes when um, it, it's not really an opportunity. And so right. then it's just a, a frustration point. Uh, someone wrote about it. I don't know if it was you, but uh, if Kevin O'Connell, if all of a sudden uh, Sean McVay says, I'm going to retire, okay, and Kevin O'Connell is going to get the job to replace Sean McVay, but they can't just hire him. Right. So they would have to interview at this point two minority candidates. Right. So now who is going to go in there and interview knowing that they really want Kevin O'Connell and they just really have to get these interviews done so they can hire him. And that's where it becomes difficult. And that's where it becomes a little unwieldy, but that's not the way Dan envisioned this. That's not the way the rule was supposed to take place. And this is the problem I want to ask you about. And again, it's a, it's a trite word, but it's accurate, sham interview. How do you fix the problem where, for example, a Mark Davis five years ago, four years ago, zeroes in on John Gruden? And there's no way in God's green earth anyone is going to get the job yeah. besides John Gruden. Yeah. And I think to some extent this happened in Jacksonville a year ago with Urban Meyer. And people are saying it just happened in... Las Vegas again with Josh McDaniels. So I don't, how do you fix that? Uh, I have an idea, but I want to hear your thoughts. Like when an owner gets just locked in, locked in, you know, Bill Polian told me once when you got fired from Tampa, he got locked in on you. Oh, I, I promise you. <laughs> and no one else was going to have a chance, white, black, and, green, etc. So it I don't happens. Know. Yeah, it happens. And that's where I'm, I'm kind of torn. I don't think you should mandate interviews in that process. Jim Ursay called me after I got fired in, in, in Tampa and left a message on my machine, said, hey, this is not an interview. You're the man I want to be the coach. Don't even call your agent. You call me and tell me how much money you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he was. He was locked in. Now, we had to go through some things, but I was the guy he wanted. Okay, when I left and retired seven years later, we had it set up. Jim Caldwell, we knew he was going to take over for me. And, you know, we didn't have to go through the process because, in fact, Jim was his own minority interview right. at that point. But had Jim Caldwell been white and we had it all set up, you're right. We would have had to abide by the rule and interview some people, even though we knew Jim Caldwell was, it, it had been set in stone for five years that he was going to take over. So that, that does become problematic and it can happen. Owners can get zeroed in. You hope they wouldn't. And I would suggest all you do is say, Hey, you may want to hire urban Meyer at Jacksonville, and that may be your guy, but go into it with an open mind, do these interviews and just, just have an open mind. It, it, it's it's hard. There, there's really no 
right way to do it because in the end, at the end of the day, Urban Meyer is probably going to get that job. But right. you just never know if you'll do it with an open mind. So what's the answer in terms of now we have, for lack of a better word, incentives, right? If a certainly on the man, general managerial front where draft picks are awarded to teams that develop front office people hired to lead other teams. Is that the answer? Or as Jim Rooney talked about on the podcast, more sanctions, the answer. So a Mark Davis or an, or a Shad Khan would be docked something meaningful, maybe even a draft pick for not pursuing beyond urban Meyer, John Gruden, those kind of things. I personally don't think incentives or sanctions are the answer. I don't think they, they okay. work. The sanctions, if I want Urban Meyer and I think he's going to deliver me six Super Bowls, I'll pay $100 million. It, it doesn't matter. Um, incentives, that, that's too nebulous and out in the future. What, In my opinion, what we have to do is convince people that it's beneficial to them to seek the best candidate. Uh, Dan Rooney got some benefit by hiring Mike Tomlin. He went to two Super Bowls. He got some stability. He got a, a, a long-running history of good football. And if I could convince an owner, you know what? If you do an exhaustive search, whether you hire a minority or not, if you hire the best person, you're going to benefit from it. So let's go through this process and get the best person. My, I said it on our show. The, the way we're doing it now is not working. We had 20 one teams that have changed over in the last three years. We had 11 teams that have changed twice. Mm. If you go through this process and you get it wrong twice in three years, that should be an incentive to you to say, hey, what I'm doing is not working. Jacksonville hired two coaches in two years, two white coaches. Not good. Houston hired two coaches in two years, two black coaches. Not good. Right. Still not good. Your franchise is in disarray, and maybe you'll get it fixed, but you're not doing things right. You need to slow down your process, think about it, and get the best person, whether they're black or white or any other minority. Get the right person. And if owners could see that, you know what, if, if I slow down, maybe it'll benefit me. That's, that's the incentive I think they need. Yeah, and you talk about that in your letter, exhausting the process. And People get caught up. Now, it's been better this year, as you will admit. But people get caught up. Got to get this. Got to get it done. And I'm always like, well, players don't show up till like April. What What do you have to get done? Like, Where's the rush? Well, we're going to lose this assistant coach or or who knows? You're, you're a little too young to remember. But the NFL draft used to be in January, right after the wow. season, right after the bowl games. And then we'd have all these, you know, high draft choices that never made it. And someone came up with the bright idea, maybe if we take our time a little bit, push the draft back, do a little more research, maybe we can even run some 40-yard dashes with these guys and weigh them and measure them and find out if they're really like that. Maybe we can have a com scouting combine where we bring everybody together. So all this stuff has transpired, and it's made our draft process better. But there was a time when we said, oh, we've got to get these guys drafted in January so they can be here or they're going to be behind the veterans. Yeah. And, you know, it's just the same thought process where you say, you know, what, it's, I'm investing a ton of money on this first round pick. Maybe I should do some research and find out if that's really the guy I want to pick or not. What was your reaction 
with the it was kind of a bombshell news a couple stories in it stood out but when you heard about brian flores's lawsuit i thought it would be coming at some point i didn't know who or when but i know there's a lot of frustration with the minority coaches and it, it would boil over and johnny cochran and cyrus mary said it in 2002 if this process doesn't change litigation is sure to follow litigation will be effective but it won't be what we, we need as a league. So I thought that would come. Uh, some of the things that he talked about and, and uh, the two big things were the Giants somehow getting the, the word out that they had already made a decision before they interviewed it. And by the way, Leslie Frazier went in the day after Brian Flores went in. Oh. So if Brian's statement is true, then they did it twice. Now, I'm not saying they did. I'm, I'll like to hear their side of it. But if they knew when they interviewed Brian Flores, they also interviewed another candidate after that. So that that was discouraging. And then the, the part about uh, not playing your best and, and, and actually trying to lose, that, that was disappointing. Sure. And I know we, we've all had those kind of conversations. I went to Tampa, and Trent Dilfer was our quarterback. He had been a young sixth pick in the draft. And we made a decision. We said, we have to find out if Trent Dilfer is going to be a franchise quarterback or not. So we're going to play him for two years, no matter what our record is. You make those kind of decisions all the time. But that's different than saying, we want to lose so we can uh, get a higher pick. And that, that, was, that was disturbing. So those two things, I think, have to be sorted out. Did the Giants, in fact, know? Did Bill Belichick know that the Giants had already made a decision? And did Stephen Ross actually say, we need to lose games and I will pay you more if you lose games? Yeah. Those, those two things are what stood out to me. And obviously, as I know, being a lawyer, it's all going to come down to evidence. And, you know, the Broncos and the Giants, putting aside Belichick, the, the Broncos accused of showing up disheveled and not interested in an interview. I'm sure they're going to get on the stand of the deposition, of course. And John Elway is going to say, we considered 10 candidates. We chose Vic Fangio for these five reasons. And the Giants are going to say, we considered 10 candidates and we chose Brian Daybowl for these five reasons, none of which are race. So it will come back to the Belichick is, is interesting evidence, but more evidence. And I guess the frustration is you and I see this. And everyone sees it. But again, to prove it in a litigation is going to be tough. I think maybe you agree that the Brian Flores real impact of this lawsuit will be, has the league changed? What have they implemented in one year, two years, five years, maybe through the threat of litigation, maybe otherwise, but has it changed? Right. And, and it's shining a light on the process. And right. the, the process is really flawed right now. I, I kind of said that in my letter. Uh, Leslie Frazier is a good, good friend of mine. Yes. He's on my staff, uh, really good football coach. But he is in the process. He's coordinating the defense for the Buffalo Bills, and he's trying to get ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs, who uh, if you're a defensive coordinator, <laughs> that's a tall assignment. Well, now, just because of the way this is structured, he's got all of this other stuff going on. Chicago Bears, hey, we've – we want to talk to you. The only time we can talk to you is Friday afternoon. We've got all these other candidates. We're going to put you in in that time frame. Um, so he 
has to start preparing for that. Yes, I've got a job to do here with my bills and uh, I'm going to do that, but I want this job. And so I'm going to take some time. I'm going to stay up later at night. I'm going to prepare for this uh, Chicago interview. Well, then the Giants call and say, we, because of the rules, if you guys win next week, we won't be able to talk to you for another eight days. So we need to talk to you Saturday morning. Mm. And he called and he's exhausted from everything from getting ready for Kansas City, from trying to prepare extra time for this. Should I take this interview or not? And and I don't want to be that guy who doesn't go to that Mike Tomlin interview that maybe I could have got the job. So he decides to go. Now, he's going to spend a lot of time on, I think he got the call Thursday that they want to interview on Saturday. So he's going to take a lot of extra time Friday, get up early Saturday morning, get ready for the Giants interview. Now, if he did all that and they already had their mind made up, that's wrong. Yes. That is, that's more than wrong. That is a disservice to the Buffalo Bills team, the Buffalo Bills fans, not only Leslie Frazier, not only minority coaches, but football. And again, the way to solve that is to just to mandate the process be later. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ironically, I, I had a few interviews in my time. Uh, we were generally a playoff team when I was an assistant coach. I think we went yeah. six or seven years in a row. The one year that we didn't go to the playoffs with the Vikings, I had a, a three-part interview process with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I went to the East-West game, and I guess that would be early January. I met Rich McKay out there. We had a long meeting. Uh, he went back home. I went back home. They called me up about four days later. Hey, can you come down to the Senior Bowl, which was later on in January? Right. I went down to Mobile, had a long meeting with them down there. Now, in the meantime, they're doing their hit, uh, their work. They're calling agents, talking to you guys. Hey, give me your top five players that you represent and ask them who they would like to play for mm. other than their own head coach. Yeah. Okay? And they put together a list, and they got the top names from from 40 players. And then they researched those guys and they called the other assistant coaches. They called the general managers of those guys on that list. My name actually surfaced on one of those. That's how I got the original interview. But then we go through this two week process. Another week goes by and they call me and say, hey, we want you to come down to Tampa and meet the owner. So it, it was like a, almost a month long process. Yeah, see, that's we weren't in the playoffs. I got to prepare. I knew them very well because we played them twice a year. I knew their, their, their players. I knew their roster. I knew their draft history. Uh, it was a perfect storm. But had I been trying to do that during a two or three day window uh, in between a playoff game and preparation, it just wouldn't have materialized. It wouldn't have worked and it wouldn't have been fair. Uh, I heard the same thing you hear. What's wrong with Eric Bieniemy? Well, the word on the street is he doesn't interview well. Well, did you know that last year he had five interviews in a three-day period during the playoffs? <laughs> and so we expect him to be up and on top of every detail and be polished and be ready and, and be just relaxed and energized. Well, no, he's trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, it's it just – and unfortunately for the minority candidates, those are the guys who are getting the interviews. It's not the, the Tony Dungy who's not in the playoffs. Yeah. It's Todd Bowles and Eric Bieniemy and Leslie Frazier and Byron Leftwich and Raheem Morris. And those guys are trying to win games. 
And we've got this small window. You can only interview during these periods of time. So if we've got three or four teams that have to satisfy this Rooney rule and they've got to talk to you and you, that, that's how it happens. And it steamrolls. And so not only not getting the job, but then the word, well, you know, gosh, he wasn't really – yeah, he, he wasn't really into it or, or I, I just thought I'd get more from him. Oh, and that's what happened. You talk about the right way to do it, that Tampa Bay. I, mean, I don't think people know when teams do it the right way, how much research does go into it. I remember, Tony, I was an agent way back in the late 90s for Matt Hasselbeck, who's a third string quarterback in Green Bay. And I'm getting calls from Joe Banner and Jeffrey Lurie. I'm like, OK, that's interesting. They wanted a, a permission to talk to Hasselbeck, the Eagles, about a quarterback coach named Andy Reid. And yeah. I, thought, I thought, wow, you know, this team is going looking under every rock to do it the right way. Uh, and I don't even know, like we've talked about with all the hurry, hurry up approach that happens now, if they're, if they're even doing that. You would think, you're not even sure. You would think with a multi-million dollar investment that you would, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's amazing to me because I hear these names bandied about. And when I was in it, uh, I knew a little bit more. Dan Rooney called me and asked about Mike Tomlin because yeah. I knew he knew that I worked with him. and He'd been on my staff. I see Jim Caldwell's name come up. I see Leslie Fraser's name come up. Guys who worked for me, I never or I should say rarely get calls from really? people. Hey, tell me about Jim Caldwell. What did, can you tell me about Leslie Fraser? You would think that would be pretty routine. Yeah. Especially with, I mean, I don't think it happened this year, but in the past I read about all these search firms, like had, in the search firms, I'm cynical. I'm like, they're being paid hundreds of thousands to come up with the same names everyone else comes up with. But I, maybe I'm too cynical about it. But yeah, search firms are out there doing this as well. Tony, this has been great, but I'd be remiss. I know listeners want to hear your thoughts about actual football. So um, I don't know where to start. The season in general, what surprised you the most? Before we get to the actual the Super Bowl results, um, you know, again, you see my Packers helmet there. Yeah. I thought, and I'm biased, but I thought they were the team. I just thought, best player, best receiver, improved defense. And I underestimated the weakness in special teams, obviously, but that was a shocker to me. Um, and I, you know, and I, I picked in the beginning, I picked Green Bay Buffalo. Uh, so I was wrong as usual, but uh, that was one impression I had of this year. I don't think you're all wrong uh, and far wrong on who the best team was, but I think what we saw was the separation between number one and maybe number 12 was not that much. Mm -hmm. And so you had all these tight games and all these games that came down to a field goal here, field goal there. And on, on football night in America, we, we were that way every week. Well, who's the best team this week? And you'd say, gosh, I think the Buffalo Bills, and then they'd get throttled by Tennessee or, Gosh, I, I think it's Green Bay, and then they'd lose a game. But you had that uh, all throughout the, the year, and it, it was great for football because you couldn't – I honestly went in the playoffs, and I couldn't say this this team's going to go to the Super Bowl, this team's going to win it. It was all, hey, matchups. If, if 
boy, if the Rams play San Francisco, it's going to be tough on the Rams because, you know, they just don't match up well with them. And if this team plays that team, anything could happen. So it was great from a fan standpoint. Yeah. But I, I think um, I think you saw the teams that have the great quarterback play, you obviously have a big advantage. Um, and, and that's where the game seems to be headed. And I think that's why everybody's interested in what's Aaron going to do What's Russell Wilson going to do? Because we've seen uh, a very good quarterback go to a different team and swing the pendulum uh, in their favor. Tom Brady did it last year. Matt Stafford did it this year. Do you think Brady's the cause of some of this? And people ask me this about Aaron all the time. Like he got out, he went to a place, he had input, right? He had real input. And I don't, you know, I don't know exactly his dealings with the Tampa Bay front office, but he clearly imported some friends like Gronk and others. Uh, I just sense that was some of Russell Wilson's and some of Aaron Rodgers' thoughts. And I'm wondering if he kind of created a little bit of a change in feeling from the elite quarterbacks. I think it's been coming. I think you always had players who said, gosh, if we just had this, if I had a little more, uh, we'd be better. But in the past, when I played, you know, hey, players play, coaches, coaches coach and general managers manage and that's the the delineation and so there are always players who kind of felt that way but just lately I think we've seen when when a couple players say you know I need this and when they get it 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 works so um, other players now are saying gosh I want to win one more before I I retire and I know we need this this and this I I don't I'm not going to sit there and be quiet do you think um, the Rams will create kind of a, a different look at things? I mean, again, I come from the conservative Packers, draft and develop, not big free agent team. With the success the Rams have of sort of going all in and trading up, trading a lot of picks for Ramsey and Stafford, trading picks for Miller, you think that'll lead to some kind of mini trend? I think there will be some copycat on that, but people have to realize with all of this and the Super Bowl ring, if Jaquaski Tart can catch, right. they might not even be in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and and so everything, it's that fragile. Yes, you it's can the go all edge. in. They, they went all in, but uh, you know, they, they had three very, very tight, close games that they could have lost any of them. If Tart could catch, if they don't call the <laughs> Logan Wilson call, you know, now I have to go to that, Andrew. I, I have a bone to pick. Okay. Uh, in 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 the past years ago, um, we just kind of the, the the Super Bowl games, the big games, would get officiated very loosely, or they'd get in, officiated tightly. But then, in the last ten minutes, I don't want to make the call that's going to change things. This was just the opposite. The opposite. They let everything go. Uh, Aaron Donald pushes Joe Burrow down on the sideline. He gets attacked by five people. Now you, you know, you could call offsetting penalties over there on the but you have to throw something. When guys are throwing punches and flailing at each other, something has to be called. I saw Gunners get blocked 15 yards out of bounds <laughs> and no call. Hmm. False starts. We saw the line linemen moving. Right. Uh, all the, the before the. The disputed penalty, um, the Rams running back, I believe it was Henderson, 
is catching the trying to catch the ball on second down, just tackle yeah. and no call. So you say, well, okay, they've decided to let him play. We're not going to. And then all of a sudden, bang, 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 three or four calls that decide the game. So I'm not sure what happened with that, but the disappointing thing, you have to have consistency. That's all you want. So if you're not going to call anything, then don't call it in the last two minutes. And that, that was really disappointing. Yeah, that, I mean, we just hurt a lot of Bengals fans right there because <laughs> – that's how you felt. That's how Packers fans yeah. felt last year when they called a, a PI at the end of the game on the Packers after not calling anything. When, yes. When you've let those go all game, you, you can't all of a sudden call it in, in a tight situation. Um, now, when you let T Higgins grab the face mask and, yeah. you know, get a little advantage and score a touchdown. Okay. That that's the way we're going to play. That's the way it's going to be called. We all understand that. Now we can, we can do that. But I think what happened was they let it get that aggressive. And then at the last minute in the crucial moment, now we're going to call it a penalty. That's not right. Little quarterback, um, quick carousel for you, if you don't mind rapid okay. fire. Uh, does Tom Brady play football in the NFL again? I think he will definitely play again. I, he might play this year. Uh, in wow. my opinion. You have a pickup team? Um, I'm here in San Francisco 49ers. Um, yeah, I mean, would be one and, and maybe two, maybe Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe it's just um, I don't necessarily want to do everything in the offseason. I don't want to stay amped up and ramped up. But now come May, and I've had a little rest, then we'll get back to it. 2022 team for... Aaron Rodgers. There, there's, there's a couple of teams that I think with people seeing the, the Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford effect, uh, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm, I'm definitely calling and, and trying to see if, if I can orchestrate that because I might just be a quarterback away. Um, if I'm the 49ers, I think I'm calling. You don't think it's the Green Bay Packers? I mean, I've said it's I, I would be surprised. I would really be surprised if it is. 2022 team for Russell Wilson. I think he has more of a chance to be in Seattle than, than Aaron has of being in Green Bay, but I, I still think it's going to be somewhere else. 2022 team for Deshaun Watson. <sighs> this <laughs> court case has to get settled I, I don't see as an owner how you could bring him in with the court case not settled I, I, I just don't and I'm a Deshaun Watson fan I knew him at Clemson I, I just didn't see any of this coming uh, I just boy, my, my narrative of him completely different but I, I just think as an owner I can't bring him into my fan base and say well we'll we'll see how this plays out yeah. you know, I've got to have a resolution uh, before I'm going to bring him in. Yeah, that's why the talk during the trade deadline, you know, whether it made it no sense, Miami or whoever, like that's not, there's no way you can look at your fan base, no. which is half women, and say that. Um, yeah, and I and I guess the last one is uh, we got questions now on the Rams with Aaron Donald and Sean McVay. Thoughts there? Um, I have a picture in my study behind me of myself on the Friday before our Super Bowl win, I'm sitting under the goalpost at the practice field and I'm thinking, is this gonna be my last game? If we win, this would be a great time to go out. And we win the game 
and I'm talking to my wife that night. We didn't, we didn't go to sleep all night. We're just talking about things. Wouldn't this be a great way to go out on a Super Bowl winner? And you convince yourself, yes, it would. So I, my plan flying back to Indianapolis was oh, this is it. We're going to have the parade, and then I'm going to announce my retirement, and I'm going to be one of the few that goes out on top. You get to the parade, <laughs> and then you get all the players around you and all the guys, hey, we can do this again. Is Sean McVay really going to be able to look at Matthew Stafford and say, hey, good luck next year. I hope you guys win it again. Aaron Donald, is he going to be able to look at Von Miller and say, man, I wish you guys all the best? No, they're, they're going to say, you know what? we got a chance to make some history. We can do this again, and I believe we can do it. Yeah, let's, let's go. And I, I think in about two weeks, they'll be ready to roll. We'll leave it on that note. You just found out Tony Dungy almost left football after winning the Super Bowl. But the parade got him back. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. This has been great, my friend. I appreciate everything. Always love your voice on issues like this. And we'll have you back on the podcast soon if, you, if, you're, if you're willing. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Always good to be with you. Likewise. Hope you enjoyed that interview. It was a great one with Tony Junji, touching on all the important topics of racial bias in the NFL and minority hiring and the right way to do it. Makes so much sense. We hope the NFL adopts some of these ideas that Tony had. Now, word from DraftKings. Hey, basketball fans, this latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, which is the official sports betting partner of the NBA, is just too good to pass up. New customers get $1 on any team, get $150 in free bets if you win. It's that simple. Everyone can play huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. All new customers have free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Just bet $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code ROSS, DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements. State-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 per pup deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. And New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NY. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports, a special Rooney Rule edition, racial bias, Flores lawsuit, with Tony Dungy talking all those things. I have my, my newsletter, andrew-brandt.com is how you get it. If you want to get the Sports Business League, where I give daily content and weekly roundtables, go to andrew-brandt.com slash SBL for Sports Business League. Twitter, Andrew Brandt, Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2 I appreciate any uh, Apple podcast rankings or comments. Really appreciate it. Share this con- this episode with a friend if you would. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my music producer, my son, Sam Brandt. And that'll do it. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.